Amen. Thank you, Kelly and Shannon. Well, we are blessed to have Dr. Carl Hafner with us today, the Vice President of Student Experience at Loma Linda University. But really, Pastor Carl needs no introduction here at Calamasa Church because he is a close friend of ours, and we are lucky to be able to say that. We've appreciated so many times that you have uh, spoken for us in the past. Our thoughts and prayers are with, with Pastor Lafitte Cortez down in Escondido Church, who is attending his mother-in-law's funeral today. Uh, so a few weeks ago, he had to cancel, and by some miracle, Carl was available and willing. I don't know if, Dr. Bob, you have Carl on retainer or something, um, but we are so grateful that you are here with us, really. Thank you, Carl, and we're Thank glad to have you. you. Oh, my, what a blessing to be here. Thank you for the invitation to worship with you at this camp meeting. Um, such an honor to be here. And uh, yes, I cannot say no to Dr. Bob ever. Uh, he had me on the burger bar. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm feeling a little overdressed. Uh, but, you know, I take my burger banquets very, very seriously. Uh, and I can't wait until this sermon is over uh, so that I can join all of you at the burger bar. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I also love your theme this summer, the family of God. Some years ago, one afternoon I was home alone, decided I want to teach myself how to play piano. Like, how hard can that be? <laughs> so, so I uh, pulled a songbook out and I flipped it open and then I tried to figure, I spent several hours trying to figure out, okay, um, this note, means this key on the piano and it's this many beats and so on and after about four hours I mastered the first two measures of the song the family of God and so I'm really good at playing I'm so glad I'm a part and then that's as far as I got uh, and that's, that's where it ended. So I can't play the song, but I can proclaim it. I am so glad to be a part of the family of God. And really, I've devoted my entire career to being and building and belonging to the church the family of God. Way at the very beginning when the conference president called me in and told me, Carl, I'm happy to let you know that the executive committee has voted to put you at the North Creek Church. I was a little confused by this because I said I didn't even know we had a church at North Creek. So, oh, well, that, that's the thing. He's squirming a little bit now. That's the deal. We don't yet, yeah, but you get to start the church. <laughs> I begged him, please don't make me do that. I've, I've never even attended a church board meeting. I had just gotten out of school. I said, I know nothing about pastoring or starting a church and I followed up with nasty emails and threatening voice messages and then he got back to me and said Carl I feel so honored that you would feel safe enough with me as your boss 
to share your true feelings. Now get out there and start the church already. And it was hard. The first Sabbath, I was preaching to my congregation, which was comprised of one couple and my wife. In the middle of my sermon, they got up and explained, ah, really sorry, but we promised some friends we were going to go hiking with them uh, up in the mountains. So they left, and there I was preaching at my wife. If you're taking notes, that is never a good idea. It was hard. At one point, I was so discouraged. I was poring over the help-wanted ads of the Seattle Times. Any of you remember when we had actual newspapers and there was an employment, you know, section in there? Anybody? Remember that? Which is a politically correct way of asking, how many of you are really old? I'm praying this angry prayer. God, this is not what I signed up for when I went into ministry. Get me another job. I don't care what it is. I'll do anything. But in the middle of my prayer, the phone rang. It was Keith, the head deacon, six foot four, 240 pounds. He didn't even say hello. Instead, he just said, Hafner, I know we're going through some really tough stuff at the church right now, but if you ever Think about bailing in ministry. I will come to your house and break both your legs. (laughs) And remember, he hissed, I know where you live. (laughs) Didn't say goodbye, just hung up. And I returned to my prayer and I said, okay, God, you, you could have been more subtle, but... Okay, I get it. This is your church, and you've called me to this church. Um, Now, we were just a ragtag group of kids just out of school, and we had no clue what we were doing, and we made a lot of mistakes. But I'll tell you, while we got a lot of things wrong, I think we did one thing right. We built an amazing community of faith. It was an incredible family. Most of us didn't have kids. We were just newly married, and um, we spent all week, pretty much every evening, we'd get together. And then weekends, it was all weekend, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, we were just together. And one of the cherished rituals that I still treasure, every Saturday morning we would get together at 7 a.m. We would read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and then we would pray. We'd just read the passage, and then we would spend an hour in prayer saying, God, we want to be this kind of a biblical community. Like, we want to experience this kind of family. If you could build this kind of a church in the first century, do it again here with us. And so if you would join me and help me indulge some of those great memories of my first family as a church, I have the, uh, the text here on the screen, and 
I'm wanting, wanting to know if maybe all of you would just join me as we read this together like the good old days that I remember. Uh, and read it loud with conviction. Can you do that with me? Let's read together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'll tell you, that passage still makes my heart beat faster. And I still read that and say, man, what would it be like to be a part of a faith family like that, devoted to each other, where there was nobody in the family who had any needs? Because they spent every day together, breaking bread together, praying together. And the neighbors observed what they saw in that church, and they liked what they saw, as the message paraphrase puts it. And the Lord kept adding to the family. Rick Warren puts it this way, we are created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for a family. And none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. We were created to be a part of the family of God. And so at the time that remains, before we all race over to the burger bar, I want to share three stories. The first, a children's story. Secondly, the creation story. We'll look briefly at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about our church's story, our worldwide denomination, our Seventh-day Adventist church story, and hopefully I will be done speaking at the same exact second that all of you are done listening, okay? <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. So we begin with a children's story written by Don Miller in his classic book, Blue Like Jazz. He says, there once was a man named Don Astronaut. Don Astronaut lived in a space station out in space. Don Astronaut had a special spacesuit that kept him alive without food or water or oxygen. One day there was an accident. Don Astronaut was cast out into space. Don Astronaut orbited the Earth and was very scared until he remembered his special suit that kept him alive. But nobody's government came to rescue Don Astronaut because it would cost too much money. There was a conspiracy and they said that he had died, but he hadn't. So, Don Astronaut orbited the Earth again and again, 14 times a day. And Don Astronaut orbited the Earth for months. And Don Astronaut orbited the Earth for decades. And Don Astronaut orbited the Earth for 53 years. Before he died, a very lonely and crazy man, just a shell of a thing with hardly a spark for a soul, the end. What a cheery little children's story, isn't it? 
He died a crazy old man all alone, just a shell of himself. Good night, Johnny. Sleep tight. The end. Miller goes on to write, Jesus does not want us floating through space. We're sitting all the time in front of our screens. Jesus wants us interacting, eating together, laughing together, praying together. Loneliness, he says, is something that came with the fall. Loneliness is something that came with the fall. So let's go now to that story in the Bible, the creation story. We note first that God is, his very DNA, his character, is community. You remember the verse, chapter 1, verse 26, where God declares, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why does God refer to himself in the plural? Because he is community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we were created in his image, craving community. We have to have one another. We all need to belong to a family because we're created in the image of God who is community. My oldest daughter, who's a youth pastor now at Redlands Church, uh, the other day texted me and said, hey, Dad, did you ever write up in a chapter of a book or an article or something that the story of my favorite game as a toddler? Yeah, I have not thought of this for over 20 years. And so it sent me digging through some you know, files on my computer, and sure enough, I found when I wrote that article she was asking about. And I wrote, and this again back when she was just a toddler, I wrote, Lindsay's toy box looks like Toys R Us threw up in it. Like, she owns ducks that quack and dolls that cry, cars that zoom and planes that fly, singing books and oinking banks, Barbies, Bubbles, Barneys. She has more toys than Big Bird has feathers. And yet, given a choice, she'll always choose her favorite toy, the tube. That's what we called the game. It's actually not really even a legit toy. You know what I'm talking about. This was her favorite thing to play with. She had all these amazing high-tech toys every time. She wanted to play tube. And when you said the name of the game, you had to, you know, stretch out that you tube as you're running around the house. Why would this be her favorite toy? Well, because you can't play tube alone. Daddy must chase through the kitchen flailing it. And mom must fall dead when Lindsay whacks her and pretend to be dead. 
And then Lindsay must squeal when Daddy steals it and runs all around the house. You can't play tube alone. Now, as we get older, our toys get more expensive, don't they? Porsches, ski nautiques, Winnebago's. But it's not so much the toys that we crave. Think about a Winnebago or a ski nautique. If you can't share it with people, right? It's not the toys we crave. It's the togetherness. Why? Well, because we were created in the image of God, who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We were created for community. Now we see this as we read through Genesis 1 and 2. The creation story, scholars refer to it as the song of creation because you see this reoccurring refrain each day of creation. We hear the same thing over and over. And God said, and it was so, and God said, it is good. You know? And God said, let there be sun, moon, stars, lakes, trees, and so on. And it was so, and God said, it is good. Until the song comes screeching to a halt, and suddenly God declares, it is not good. What? It is not good, Genesis 2.18, for man to be alone. Loneliness is something that came with the fall. We were not created to be alone. My friend Randy Roberts gave a devotional a couple of years ago at Loma Linda University. He's told me several times since that he said, I don't think I've ever gotten more response from a talk that I've ever given or a sermon or a devotional. He said, you can't believe how many text messages and voicemails and conversations I've had with people. He talked about loneliness. He said, I had no idea the raw nerve that I hit. Because you think about it, we talk about all kinds of things openly, but nobody really wants to admit, I'm lonely. One of the quotes that he shared in that devotional came from Richard Schwartz, the medical doctor and researcher at Cambridge University, who says admitting you're lonely feels very much like admitting you're just a loser. People are comfortable saying they're depressed, but they're not comfortable saying that they are lonely. Because then you're the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria. It's true, isn't it? We'll talk about our bunions or our boils or our depression or whatever, but we don't like to talk about how so often we feel alone. 
This is a serious epidemic in our country, which explains why the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, has uh, this year published an extensive report on loneliness. Maybe you've seen it. It's online, titled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. In it, he writes, in studying the latest scientific research and literature, one in two Americans reported experiencing loneliness. Half of us. And that was before the COVID-19 pandemic cut off so many of us from friends, loved ones, and support systems, exacerbating loneliness and isolation. Now, this was a study put together uh, by, I think, 50-plus of the top universities in our country, including many of the Ivy League schools. And so the top scholars and researchers in the world came together to put together this report. And just a quick excerpt says, loneliness is associated, and we know this, with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Now, as... Seventh-day Adventists. We derive so much of our identity, and we base a couple of our key doctrines on the creation story. But now let's pivot a bit and talk about our church's story. Because, yes, you go to Genesis 1 and 2, and that's where we get our doctrine of the Sabbath. We are Seventh-day Adventists. Why? Well, partly because... In the creation story, God blessed the seventh day Sabbath. He made this day holy, a sanctuary in time. Or if you were to just ask somebody passing by, what do you know about seventh day Adventists? Chances are good, at least some of them would mention our health reform message, right? They might say something like, oh, those are the people that don't, you know, drink or smoke, and they eat a lot of tree bark and tofu, and they live a long time, and that kind of thing. And somebody would probably say something like that, and it's true. And again, we go to the creation story, and we have always advocated for the same diet as Adam and Eve ate in the Garden of Eden. But I wonder aloud this morning if maybe the strongest theme in the creation story that helps to identify us as a denomination, as a people, would be this theme of community. Let us make humankind in our image. It is not good for mankind to be alone. Loneliness is something that came with the fall. And now social scientists are discovering that maybe that's why Adventists live so much longer than others. You're, I'm sure, aware of the 
Blue Zones research and the fact that Loma Linda is the only uh, you know, Blue Zone in North America and uh, Dan Buettner and all of his work. Well, maybe you haven't seen his TED Talk where he talks specifically about our church, Seventh-day Adventists. The title of the talk, How to Live to be 100 Plus. Last I checked, had, I think, almost 5 million views. And in it, he talks about our church. And of course, he's not a Seventh-day Adventist. But he says in that talk, in America here, life expectancy for the average woman is 80. But for a Seventh-day Adventist woman, their life expectancy is 89. And the difference is even more pronounced among men who are expected to live about 11 years longer than their American counterparts. Now, this is a study, he says, that followed 70,000 people for 30 years. He calls it a sterling study, a lot of academia backing up his statements here. And so then he spends most of the TED talk around the question, okay, what explains the longevity of Seventh-day Adventists? And he says a lot of times people think, well, it's because they observe the Sabbath and they have this rhythm in their life and they rest every seven days. But then he says that that's really not it. As others believe, well, it's because of their weird diet. That must be the secret sauce. And again, he says, my research would suggest otherwise. That's not really it. So what is it? He says this. It's because Adventists hang out with other Adventists. So, he says, if you go to an Adventist party, which is not an oxymoron, but he says, if you go to an Adventist party, you don't see people rolling a joint or swilling Jim Beam. Instead, they are talking about their next nature walk, exchanging recipes for their special K-loaf. And they pray together. And I think of that picture that we get in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to coming together and the apostles' teaching and to breaking, to breaking bread together and praying together. He says, and they pray together. And then he says, they influence each other in profound and scientifically measurable ways. Why do they live so much longer? Because they have this amazing community. They're a family. And they look out after each other. He concludes the talk saying diets don't work. Exercise programs don't last. When it comes to longevity, there is no short-term fix in a pill or anything else. Our research shows your friends are the most significant thing you can do to add more years to your life and more life 
to your years. What's the secret? of Not only the quantity, the length of our lives, but the quality of our lives. It's our friends. It's the fact that we're a part of the family of God. So let me give you a snapshot of this. Let's put skin on this teaching, shall we? I want to introduce you to a friend of mine over 30 years now. It's my friend Jeff, who is really, really uh, passionate about uh, racing these Formula 100 class tunnel boats. And uh, I think this is a picture uh, where uh, last summer I was actually on his pit crew, even though I know nothing about uh, Formula tunnel boats, but um, it was great fun. So we reconnected, um, but I, I really met him many, many years ago. You go all the way back to that first church I was telling you about, planting in Seattle. And uh, Jeff uh, it was competing in a race in Olympia, Washington. When he came around that first buoy, there was a three-boat collision. One boat sliced his boat in half, sending him to the hospital where he would spend the next couple of months kind of hovering on that thin line between life and death. And to just uh, illustrate how connected the family of Seventh-day Adventists really are, um, his, one of his nurses was the niece of my favorite teacher of all time, Mr. Rice, who taught me fifth and sixth grade in Rehoboth, Massachusetts. So it just so happened that we kind of knew each other through her uncle, and uh, she formed a friendship with Jeff. And then when he left Olympia to go and continue recuperating in a hospital in Seattle, closer to where he lived at the time, uh, she encouraged him. Maybe you should go to a church. Go to a Seventh-day. In fact, I have a friend who just planted this church in Seattle. You should go. And, and I think, you know, even at that young age, it's probably the first time Jeff had serious questions about, you know, our own mortality and, and just the fragility of life. And no doubt he had to ask himself in those moments alone in the hospital bed, you know, am I ready to die? And so he said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll check out that church after I recover. Well, he came to that church that we had just planted. Um, and I think it was camp meeting weekend because as he remembers the story, because I called and asked for permission to tell this story, and he said, as long as I get good royalties, you're welcome to, to use the story. Uh, and he remembers going to the church. Now, we rented a very small room about the size of, you know, this platform here. There weren't many people going, and it was just a small upper room in a much, much bigger building. And so he thought the whole building was this mega church, uh, but then he gets ushered upstairs, and there's only a handful of people there. I wasn't there that Sabbath, and so he remembers it as some volunteer uh, stood up and gave a finance report for the sermon and said, you know, if we're going to stay alive and if we're going to keep our doors open, you, you all need to give a lot of money. 
Uh, and that's kind of what he remembers the first Sabbath. So, then he came back the next Sabbath. And again, I think I was at camp meeting, and so uh, I wasn't there. And what he recalls is that a uh, deacon uh, got up and put in a VHS tape to watch. And he said it was just a little weird. Um, and so he called his friend, the nurse, back in Olympia, reported what had happened, and she encouraged him to say, oh, yeah, I, I, I don't really know about that little church, but there's a lot of really good Adventist churches in Seattle, some big ones, so next week, try one of those. And to his credit, he said, why would I do that? Those big churches, they don't need me. This church... <laughs> Like, this church really desperately needs me. And she said, hey, well, well, the next week, thank you, Jesus, the pastor showed up, and I met Jeff. And that began a very treasured friendship. Um, you know, I was, just this morning, I was remembering the early Jeff and and. You know, we all had a lot of rough edges back then. Um, but, you know, that we just, we just did life together. I mean, we spent a lot of time golfing and playing tennis. And uh, just he was at the church all the time, you know, all week, all weekend. And he turned out he was my neighbor. He had just a few doors down in the same neighborhood. So we spent a lot of time together and I think about how he changed through the years and I had a front row seat to just watch the power of God transform a human life to just change a person and it was at that little church that he met a young woman and he married her and as I think back, 30-plus years of pastoring in a local church, and when I replay the highlight videos in my mind of my favorite moments of ministry, right near the top of the list, I'd have to put that Sabbath. This is years after he had started attending, but that Sabbath when I lowered Jeff into Silver Lake and then brought him up, and said, welcome to the family of God. That was a long, long time ago. So this past Wednesday, I had the opportunity to speak for our incoming year one School of Medicine students. Right after the chapel, there's a young woman who came up and she said, hey, I've got to take a selfie to send to my mom. It's her birthday today. Well, this young woman was Jeff and Lori's only child. She is now a student at Loma Linda University. And so we took this selfie together and she sent it um, to... Well, that was a good build-up, wasn't it? <laughs> you will never see the selfie. <laughs> Ah, oh, there you go. There's their daughter. And um, I said, it's your mom's birthday today. It's my sister's birthday today. And just again, just how small this beautiful family is. 
And so I would say once again, I am so glad to be a part of the family of God. Peace as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope by the power of his spirit. Amen.